All right, grab a Bible. We're in Acts chapter 3. Our passage today is the last half of the chapter, or the last third, verse 17 through 26. If you're using a blue Bible in the center of the table, it's page 1009. So next week, uh, before heading to chapter 4, we're going to take a closer look. At chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And I'll tell you what that's about in a little bit. But next week we're going to really focus in on a big idea from our passage that we don't have time to jump into deeply today. And I'll look forward to doing that with you next week. So Acts 3, 17 through 26. I'll begin to read. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the appointed send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So we're going to have a few minutes for y'all to read the passage to yourself. And instead of a big room discussion today, each table has a table leader. We'll have smaller discussions. And when the time is right, your table leader will get the discussion going. All right, everybody. I've enjoyed the discussion we had at our table. I've enjoyed seeing lots of eager participants. God's word is wonderful. And there's something really wonderful from our passage today. When I first started studying this passage, I didn't think it was that important. But by the end of the week, I saw this idea in the passage. And it's going to be the centerpiece of what we talk about today. Do you want to change? I think people that have God's Spirit living inside of them want to do the things that God wants them to do. That's been my experience since God has come to live inside of me, since I've had a relationship with him. But the problem is, the the way it falls short sometimes, is that I don't feel like I have the power to do it. I don't feel like I know how to do it. Sometimes it feels like, okay, God wants me to change, but I'm all on my own. So how do I do it? So, if you're here, 
and you want to have greater change in your life, then pay attention. If you're here and you don't care, pay attention anyway. (laughs) Because there's something in here that God wants you to hear. There's something He wants to say to you today. God talks to everybody through this book, if they're willing to listen. So I want you all to listen up. Hear what it is that God has to say. So we're finishing chapter 3 today. And we started it last week. And it was a really neat and amazing thing that happened last week. There was a a man who was crippled. He couldn't walk. And Peter and John healed him. And his legs grew strong. And he started leaping and praising God. And there was this big crowd around at the time. And this miracle, this amazing thing that happened caused everyone to come and see. And so there was a crowd. And Peter saw the crowd. And he had something to say to them. He wanted to talk to them about some of the things that God had done. And he wanted to talk to them most specifically about Jesus Christ and what Jesus had done. It is. So, yeah, it is. Here, I'll tighten the thing. We're trying to get audio to the nursery, y'all. Um, it's, it, I, I think I got it. All right, so they were telling him the story of Jesus. Peter decides all these people are here. And just about two or three months before this happened, that's when Jesus had died on the cross and then rose again. And so everyone there had already heard some things about Jesus, and some of the people there had seen Jesus. And so Peter takes this opportunity, because they're all right there, to tell them the story, to tell them what really, really happened about Jesus. And what he tells them is that God sent Jesus as a Savior and as the Messiah. Like, everybody was supposed to be waiting for Jesus to come. And then when Jesus came, instead of people loving Him and following Him, They treated him like a criminal, like a lawbreaker, and they nailed him to a cross where he suffered in agony for many, many hours until he breathed his last and until he died. And last week, Peter also told him this. He says, you all were the one who killed Jesus. That is a very serious accusation, isn't it? Very serious matter, very serious thing. And so we pick up, I mean, really what we... When Peter told him that last week and what we're covering today, it's kind of like a sermon, what I'm doing right now. He's got everybody's attention, and he's telling a story, and he's telling them what they need to do. He told the story last week, and today he's telling all the people what they should do. So we get to verse 17, and he says this. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Peter is so gracious to them. Peter knows that he is a man who has done horrible things, just like the people who killed Jesus. Peter has an attitude that says, I'm no better off than you. He's not like standing over them, talking to them like they're worthless and useless. And he says to them, I know you all didn't set out to kill God's son. 
I know that you thought you were doing the right thing. I know that you believed you were doing what was best. But they still killed Jesus, didn't they? If you don't know something was wrong, does that mean you can't be punished for it? That's right. Yeah. When you do the thing that's wrong, whether you know it's wrong or not, if you, or if you don't know that it's wrong, is that an excuse? Yeah. No. Peter's saying, I know that y'all acted in ignorance just like your rulers and your leaders did. But what he's about to say to them shows that they're still responsible for their actions. They're still responsible for the awful and horrible thing that they did when they took God's anointed king, when they sent, took God's son, Jesus Christ, and treated him as a criminal instead of as the Savior who is to be worshipped. So in verse 18, he quickly speaks. Peter quickly talks about his suffering. He says, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets long ago that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Hunter spoke on this really well a few weeks ago. You know, God was in charge and overseeing everything to make it happen. But the whole time, God didn't do anything wrong. And all the people that were involved, they were the ones who did the wrong thing. So God spoke hundreds of years earlier through people called prophets. Prophets were people who gave the message of God to everyone else. And these prophets spoke of someone that would come. And they were speaking of Jesus as who they were speaking of. And he said that the prophets told us a long time ago that Jesus the Christ would suffer. So not only did the prophets tell us that, but God made it happen. And that is God's sovereign power in action to make sure that the things that he wants to have happen actually happen. So we get to verse 19 and there's a command. It's one word. Somebody say it for me. Repent. And there's another command right after that that's pretty much the same thing. What is that? Turn back. Turn back. Repent, therefore, and turn again. What does repent mean? What does it mean to turn back? Have you ever left your house to go somewhere, and you get two minutes down the road, and you say, oh, I meant to bring that. Anybody do that with your food this morning? You turn around and you go back. You change the direction. Repentance has to do with turning back. Repentance has to do with turning around. Repentance also means you got a new mind. So the way that you used to think about God is different from the way you think about God now. You know, that part's kind of harder to see. But your new way of thinking affects how you live your life and what it is that you do. It affects the direction that you're going in. Let me tell you something that's true for every person on the planet. All of us, and some of you might still be doing this, we're living our life and we're walking away from God and we don't really care about God, but we're doing our own thing and we're trying to get further and further away from Him. And God says, repent or turn back. So, let's just say... Let's just say that, you know, here's the table, we got the bread and the cup. Let's just say that this is God. It's not God. But let's just pretend that God is right here. When, when you're born and the way you live your life, 
is this, you're walking away from God. You're a sinner. And those people who crucified Jesus, were they walking towards God or away from God? Away. So Peter says, repent. And turn around and go back to God. So he's telling all of them, you've lived your life the wrong way. It's time to turn and go back to God. Alright, so that's what God wants from all of us. And if you haven't repented, it's time to do that. Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again. And Jesus says, come and believe in me and turn to me and turn away from your sin. That's what God wants for all of us today. And no matter what you've done, no matter how you've lived or any of the awful things that you've done, God already knows about it. And he just says, come to me. and He will take you as you are. He loves you so much. He will take you as you are. And he will do amazing things in your life. So, if you repent, and if you turn again, three things happen, according to verses 19, 20, and 21. The first thing is, is your sin is forgiven. That means God is no longer angry at you for the awful and horrible things that you've done. Now, for the people that were listening to Peter back then, that's really, really important, isn't it? Because they had done a horrible thing, and they had killed the Son of God. The one they were supposed to receive and welcome and worship. Instead of worshiping him, they killed him. And so, Peter's telling them, God will take away that sin. If God can forgive them for killing his son Jesus, can God forgive you for the horrible things you've done? Think about the worst thing you've done this week. Think about the worst thing you've done in your life. I want to tell you, God wants to forgive you for it. He wants to take your sin away. He wants to take all the wrong and messy stuff in your life. And He wants to make it right. And He wants to make it good. So if you repent and turn to God, the first thing that will happen is that your sins will be blotted out. The second thing is in verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's strange language. We don't talk like that, do we? And the truth is, back then, they didn't talk about that much either. But that word in the original language, to refresh, you see it in some other books that were written in that day. And it always has to do with coming in from a hot, long day's work outside in the sun. Summer's coming, isn't it? Y'all going to ride your bike across the neighborhood? Are you going to be sweaty by the time you get to where you're going? Yes, you are. Does it feel good to go inside and to... Get a nice ice-cold Pepsi or a cup of tea or a black cold glass of water? Does it feel good to sit down in the air conditioner when you're drenched in sweat and to take a drink of something cool and delicious? Feels good, doesn't it? Well, God says, if you repent and turn to me, that's what I'm going to do for you. You're going to come into a new place, a new environment, a place that's much more comfortable, a place that's much more restful. A better place, a place that you would prefer to be over where you're at right now. And God will give you what you need. It's a new season after you repent. It's a new and different season of your life that's different from anything you've ever had. So that's the second thing that God promises to do if we repent. The third thing comes halfway through verse 20. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Did y'all know that Jesus is coming back a second time? He's been here once before. But he's going to come back again. 
And he's going to have, he's, he's, he's got a body now, just like we do. He's in heaven now with his physical body that's just like ours. And when he was here before, people could see him and talk to him just like we talk to each other and see each other. Well, he's going to come back. And we're going to see him. Everybody's going to see him, the Bible says, actually. So the third thing that is going to happen is that God is going to send Jesus Christ back. But look at how it says it at the end of verse 20. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus is coming back for you. That's good news. That is a good thing. If you don't repent, though, he's not coming back to get you. He's actually coming back to judge you. And to give you what you deserve because of your sin and the horrible things that you have done. So if you don't repent and turn to God, you don't get to be a part of this. But if you do repent and turn to God and you know Jesus, then Jesus is going to come back for you. And you will see him. You will know how awesome he is. And for all eternity, you'll be with him. And you'll be in a much better place. So verse 21 goes on to say, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So, so this is more of that third thing. And it just tells us where Jesus is at right now. It's, you know, Jesus was there, right? And he died and he rose again. And then seven weeks after he rose, he ascended up. That means he just floated right up into heaven. And he's still there. Y'all, he's still in heaven. It says this. Heaven must receive him until when? Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I'm going to unpack this a lot more next week. Next week, what I want to do is I want to take some ideas that we have been taught about the end times that are really complicated and I want to do my best to simplify it for us. Peter's understanding in this verse is that Jesus is going to be in heaven until he comes to restore the new creation and to create, take this old creation and to make it all new. And it's, it's very simple according to what Peter says here. And let me say this also about the end times. What we're going to see in the book of Acts, and this is so exciting now, over and over and over again, there's this little tiny piece here and this little tiny piece there where we learn more about what's going to happen in the future. We tend to think that only the book of Revelation talks about the end times. But there is stuff about the end times almost in every single chapter of the Bible. About three or four years ago, I realized that. And it just blew me away. But what Peter says is really, really helpful. And we're going to unpack that from lots of other places in the Bible next week. If you want to know kind of what to study and what to prepare for, just do your research on anything about the end times. And, and um, we're going to go deep into this idea next week. So, three things Jesus will do for you if you repent. He'll forgive you of your sins. Times of refreshing will come to you. And he's going to send Jesus Christ back for you. We get to the following verse, verse 22. And all of a sudden, we're going back to Moses. Okay? Moses lived 1,200 or 1,300 or 1,400 years before this time happened. 
So for us, he lived like almost 3,500 years ago. That's a long time, right? So all of a sudden, he's talking about Moses. And really, everything after verse 22 is about what has happened in the Old Testament. You know, over and over again so far, we're just three chapters into the book of Acts. And over and over again, we're seeing how important the Old Testament is. We're seeing that the Old Testament told us about all these things that were going to happen. So let's look at what Moses told him. And this is found in Deuteronomy. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You will listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Y'all, Moses believed in Jesus. Did you know that? Moses believed in Jesus. And the Jewish people of that time, they believed in Moses. But they didn't really understand that Moses believed in Jesus. That was a new idea for many of them. And what's going to happen after this is that some of the Jewish people are going to realize, yeah, Moses did believe in Jesus, and I should too. But then there's going to be a lot of people that don't. And those that do believe in Jesus, they're going to repent, they're going to turn to God, and their life is going to change. But those who don't agree with Moses and believe in Jesus like Moses did, they're not going to turn to God. And so, look at what it says. What's going to happen if, you know, Moses said a prophet like me would come. What's going to happen if the people don't listen to that prophet, Jesus? Verse 23, it says they're going to be destroyed. And that speaks of judgment. That speaks of a penalty. That speaks of someone being punished who should be punished because they did something wrong. Did y'all know if you don't listen to Jesus, God is going to punish you? And that that's the right thing for God to do? But if you do listen to Jesus and you come to him, God will not punish you. He will actually do incredible and wonderful things in your life. So we have this little piece here about Moses. And then it moves forward, verse 24 It talks more. All the prophets have spoken from Samuel and those after him also proclaim these days. So there was another prophet named Samuel. And truth is, there's a lot of prophets. There's one named Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai. They got funny names. There were a bunch of prophets. And in the Bible, we have what they wrote down. And all of them were talking about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus got here. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? So they proclaim these days. In verse 25, Peter says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. What's that mean? That means they were a part of your family. That means they're like your great, great, great grandpappy. When y'all were little, do y'all remember going over to somebody's house in your family and you felt like they were 185 years old? We all have those people in our life that we can remember, Right? So I remember one lady lives on my road that just tore her house down one or two years ago and they built a new house right in her spot. I remember, I, I felt like she was 150 years old when I saw her when I was a kid. You know, well, well, for them, there were people who lived hundreds of years before them. And that they were family. They were family. But there's also a covenant that God made. And there's a covenant 
that God made with a man named Abraham. Last week, we, last year, we spent about six months learning about a man named Abraham, didn't we? And God made some very special promises to Abraham. The most important one is found at the end of verse 25. Look at that with me. In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In your offspring. What's an offspring? It's a child or a descendant. I'm an offspring. You're an offspring. We're offspring from our parents. They got together and we showed up. That's how it works. So, God told Abraham that one of your grandchildren, or one of your great-great-grandchildren, one of your descendants a long time from now, is going to bless all the families of the earth. In other places it says they're going to bless all the nations of the earth. You know what's really good about that? Is that God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't say, I'm just going to go and bless everyone in Australia because they're just really, really special. He doesn't just go and say, I'm going to bless everyone in London because that's a really cool city. He doesn't come and say, well, I'm just going to only bless the Republicans because they're my favorite. Or I'm only going to bless the Democrats because they're my favorite. He doesn't come and say that. God's intention from the first chapters of the Bible is to bless all types of people. To bless all the families and all the nations of the earth. In verse 26, we find out what that blessing is. In verse 26, we also find out who the blessing is. So who is the blessing? And what is the blessing? The blessing, or who is he? His name is Jesus. You all, his name is Jesus. Look at verse 26. God, having raised up his servant... Y'all, the servant is Jesus. Look back at verse 13 that we looked at last week. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. So two times in this message that Peter's preaching, he calls Jesus the servant. So Jesus is the offspring that was promised to Abraham. God was talking about Jesus 2,000 years before Jesus came. Did God have a plan? Yes, He did. And Jesus is at the centerpiece of that plan. So, we know who the offspring is. But what is the blessing? This is verse 26 for us. Or, or the answer is in verse 26. And I asked you earlier, who in here wants to change? Yeah, Maybe you're like me and you feel like you've come a long ways in life and you're at a better spot than you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or maybe even last week. Okay? But you know that you're not where you should be. Yeah, you've got a lot of things in order. A lot of things are going great because God's with you. He's near to you. He's changed your life. But there's still so many things that are out of line. I want to tell you that God wants to change you even more than you want to change. I want to tell you that God makes power available to you. He's already given it to you. And that His power is available so that you can change and turn away from your wickedness. 
Look at verse 26 again. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. How did God bless us? He blesses us by turning us away from our wickedness. What is our wickedness? Do y'all remember earlier when I was walking away from God like this? Do y'all remember that? Without walking away from God, that disobedience of God, that's our wickedness. And if you know God or not, you still struggle with that. I mean, if you do know God, you still struggle with that. And if you don't know God, then that's your whole life. What does God want to do in your life? He wants to turn you away from your wickedness. You all, sometimes we know what's right, and we don't feel like the power, we have the power to do it. Sometimes we, we, we know who it is that we want to be, and we know what we should do in certain situations, but when those situations arrive, we feel like there's nothing we can do to change, and that we're doomed to doing the same wrong and dumb thing that we've done in the past. And we get so frustrated with ourselves because we fail, because we love God and we know that what we did hurt God. And we wonder, will we ever change? I've got good news for you today from this verse. And that that is that God is the one who is turning us away from our wickedness. Now, the commands of verse 19 still stands to repent and turn back to God. But I want to tell you that God is so available to you. And God is so powerful. And when life gets sticky, and when all the stinky stuff hits the fan and just goes everywhere, God is right there in the middle of that. God is right there in the middle of that. His power is available to you. His blessing towards you is that He turns you away from your wickedness. It's easy in those moments when we feel like everything's falling apart and when we feel like we're about to lose control, it's easy to think, there's no turning back now, I'm too far into it, I'm just going down and it's all going to happen again just like it always does. You ever felt that way? I've felt that way before. But that's just not true. It's just not true. And I'll be the first to say that sometimes I know something's true in my head, but in my heart it just doesn't work. I know what that's like. But what I do know is that as I grow up in Jesus, and as the weeks and months go by, God teaches His children that you don't have to lose control. God teaches His children That the dumb things that you have done for so long don't have to continue to happen. God teaches us that He is so much bigger than the things that seem to control us and ruin our lives. Y'all, our God is awesome. And and if you're having trouble believing this, then I'm just going to flip to Romans chapter 8 and I'm going to look at a passage that we spent a whole Sunday on last fall. Romans 8. It says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? Is God for you? Then who can be against you? It goes on to say, 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? This is Romans 8.33. And what that means is, if God's chosen you to be one of His kids, then who can charge you? Who can take you to court? Nobody can. It goes on to say, who can condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? See, when you really screw it up, think about Jesus Christ on the cross and know that that was done for you. That, what He did, was for us in our deepest, darkest moments. And where's Jesus now? He's at the right hand of God and He's actually praying for us. Did y'all know that if you're a Christian then Jesus is sitting right beside God up in heaven and he's actually praying for you. Y'all, God is for us. God is for us. And Romans 8 goes on to say this. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Even things to come, y'all. Things that haven't happened yet. None of those things are able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now turn back to Acts 3 real quick. I want to look at one last thing in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. All right, who's he talking to? Sent. Peter says, God sent Jesus to you first. Y'all, that's important. That's important. The people that were listening to him were the people who were the reason why Jesus went to the cross. Many of them, just two or three months earlier, had been saying, crucify Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Isn't it amazing that the love of God and the forgiveness of God was offered to them first? The ones who did the worst thing God came to them first. Y'all, that gives me hope. That gives me assurance that if God was so good in this way to go to the people who were most guilty first, you know, he, he, he could have put them on the back burner, but he didn't. Y'all, this is the love of God. Today, God wants you to repent if you haven't already. And if you have repented already, he wants you to just keep walking in your new mind. Keep walking back to God. And he wants you to know that he is for you. He is not against you. And that the blessing he offers to you is that he will turn you away from your wickedness as you trust in him and as you grow up in him. Let's pray together.